like the end of the trail. There's like a end of the trail. It's not Lubbock. It's uh, it's it's going down towards Austin. Oh. I've never seen it open. And you'll notice it next time you're going out. It's like north of Cedar Park. I don't even know what town that's next to. Off of uh, 281. Is it? Yeah, it looks crazy. I guess at that point you're on 183. Yeah, but it's got like a big bar area and like a stage, and then there's like an auto salvager next to it. I swear to God, it looks like uh, dusk till dawn. I can never see cars there, but it's like full of cars, and then it's just, it even says, end of the trail, like on the sign. It's perfect. It's like, is that a murder place? Filming as a target. End of the line. Well, guys, uh,. Welcome to the Texas Tailgate Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, like we've already jumped in with murder, so (laughs) filming, uh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm glad you can come out. We're going to talk about... Thanks uh, for having us. Caught a couple of singles out and an upcoming album. Yes, Uh, sir. We just just need to talk about it. All right. Yeah. How are you doing, John? I'm doing good, brother. It's good to see you again. Yeah. It's been too long. Yeah. It's nice to come up and hang out. And and every time I interview you or do anything with you, I'm realized how old we're getting. Yeah. Because (laughs) when you start thinking about the first things we've done together. It's been a long time now. Eight, nine years ago. Right. Um... But no, we got new shit though. New shit. Always. That's a, yeah. a friend of mine told me a long time ago. Yeah. He said, "Always have some new shit. You got to keep Always. moving forward." Always. You got to. Because <laughs> uh, uh, what? Because if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. That's really. right. Yeah. In this industry, especially. Yeah, and music. Yeah. Get bowled over.
in line with daddy's little sycophant Fill your mind with some shit off the internet Drawing conclusions to the same damn lies Till it's fear I see there in your eyes 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 You've been looking for a scapegoat songs about a real real person i believe it probably yeah. not a happy person no he was he be like played uh spoons down on some oh okay some beach that boardwalk. is not where i thought that beach song boardwalk? Was yeah like some guy that just he was known for like he's a street musician he plays like the spoons <laughs> and like all these bands were friends with him back in the day it was yeah. like all the the seattle guys all knew him all, you all busking me, yeah the grunge era that spoon man isn't about drugs you would have blown my mind <laughs> shit <laughs> but here we are yeah here we are <laughs> mind blown it's, it's a real dude i watched the documentary like where they interviewed him about it They're like you are spoon man it's like yeah i was once spoon man once i was once i don't play the spoon once you become anymore. spoon man you think it's <laughs> yeah. a lifetime commitment but apparently his best friends was like Soundgarden and pearl jam and all those bands from that era all were just, knew the spoon man second to scat man Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of scat, not the other kind. Not the other yeah. kind. No. <laughs> now, I, there's a, a great Mark Marion uh, interview with um, uh, what's his name from uh, Soundgarden, uh, Cornell. Cornell, yeah, yeah, right before he died, and he mm -hmm. he talks about that whole era and and. Uh, why Soundgarden broke up and, and, and how they'd been around for a long time before they yeah. broke up. Crazy amount. Yeah, they yeah. started in the 80s. Yeah. And Late 80s. They, they, they got famous and then broke up. They were already done. <laughs> That's, uh, it's amazing how that just works out for some people, but he had such a great voice. Yeah. Truly. Yeah, and he was involved in a lot more than just Soundgarden. Too. Oh, totally. He's a really yeah, interesting that, dude. I feel like that was the product, like, yeah. was his voice. Oh, yeah. Whatever band he jumped into. Yeah. Like, All right, that's it. Yeah, and. He cornelled it up. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, Audio Slave was right there. That was a fantastic band. So much so. Yeah, they, the they, perfect they were dropping albums when, when I was just starting college and, and that was just, I feel like that's a big soundtrack to that era. Oh man, me. I mean, it's an amazing <laughs> band with an amazing vocalist. It, yeah. it worked out really well. And, and uh, well, 
Rage Against the Machine <laughs> was awesome too, but it's like you put that vocals with it, it just becomes so much more. It really does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And I, though those are, that, that's a special record that Audio Slave, I, it's awesome. Every song on there is really just yeah. powerful and kicks pretty hard. It's good yeah. mix. Yeah. I was listening, God, uh, I know I'm getting off topic here. We're supposed oh, to be talking about albums, this but. This is always the topic. Uh, it, it, this is always the <laughs> yeah, topic. Yeah, we love music, so. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, when uh, I'm not a big Spotify fan, I, I I pay for it, but I'm not a big fan of it. But we I go down a rabbit hole. You start doing the uh, the radio side. You right. find a song and start a radio from it. And uh, oh man, we we uh, me and my wife were listening to some Sublime, and we're like, what? Well, let's try to radio from it. And it was a bunch of stuff from that era. And you, you, it didn't feel like it was all connected, right. except for it being in that era, sound-wise, because it was going from Sublime to uh, 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 bare, uh, not Bare Naked Ladies, but uh, uh, Blues Traveler. Anyway, oh wow, that's okay. pretty different. Yeah, Ton- totally. That's totally completely different. Yeah, yeah. And and then uh, uh, back to uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then it got us on that whole. <laughs> like another... Yeah, the DJ that they offer is so oh, odd. Yeah, he's like, you like the '90s, do you? Yeah, here's, here's some rap stuff that you probably once listened to by accident. Here's the verve, and then now the verve pipe. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, it's almost creepy that the new AI uh, DJ. Uh, I don't, I don't see it being more than a, a fad at, yeah, at this right. point. Yeah, no, for sure. At some point, it's going to be Truly, start it's just random, not randomized. Yeah. yeah. I, or is it? I got a playlist when I first tried it that was just straight up what my summer sounded like in 2017. Weird. And I, 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 I associate with songs. like So I was like, I haven't listened to that album yeah. since Did it give you rage or, or, or like, like <laughs> was, that No, year? it was uh, just kind of just reminded me. I was like, oh, uh, 17. Yeah, I remember 17. God, that was uh, <laughs> right after Trump gets elected. And, and don't want to get political, but man. It's, it was kind of a rough year, uh, for sure. Uh, it was quite a bit. The whole four years was rough, you know. And mainly just because it was just so tiresome right yeah <laughs> it's one thing right after the other and you're like oh, just on the, the, thing. the people amongst yeah. people it became like a tribal thing well it's toxic which it, is it was it was very toxic it's still toxic yeah it's I crazy facebook over it but yeah really, i still have it but i don't yeah i don't ever get on it and uh yeah, that's right. pretty wild. Random, random. Go yeah. back to Farmville. We need those. Need Farmville. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be able to put my favorite song on my home page. That's it. And I want people to like it and say, I like this song, it's John. And I'll be like, hey, song, right? yeah, hey, I introduced you to that. It was on my home page. <laughs> you could be one of my six favorite friends. God, that was uh, MySpace. That's... Well, you you were you were playing music during that time oh, yeah. period, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what, what was your band's name during that era? Uh, at, I had two or three, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of bands. I, I had one called Brother Boyd, and then uh, one called Glide. And then, I mean, there was all sorts of bands. That's the one I hear referenced from past members a lot. Yeah, really. Like, oh, I, I have a small army like of X bands. Yeah. <laughs> If you get enough of them, you do a show and they'll all come. It's on. a fun. That would be hilarious to have everybody show up. <laughs> hey, you remember this song? Come it's, on it's up. It's my era's tour. I'm surprised. <laughs> <how> <laughs> I, 
many of John's previous guitarists I'm like good friends with at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. At least we all have uh, good relationships still. Yeah. <laughs> not uh, not weird at all. Not like well, I, I mean, I made, started making music in like 1996. And I was born so, that year. Whoa. Yeah. That, there's there's whoa. definitely some uh, interest. I never really put that together, but that is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that for you? Was that high school? Or was, yes, I was, was in high school. Yeah. So kind of kicked it off young and was playing in bars before I was probably even legally allowed to be in bars. But I've always been tall, so yeah. I got by with it. Yeah, you know what? What? What was the style then for you? Because uh, I'm, I'm not guessing. Borderline was, punk. Borderline. You know? Yeah, I just we liked power chords and you know it was that teenage angst. Everybody has one of those bands. <laughs> What's really funny is I have a buddy up in Lubbock that's almost the exact same age as me. And one time we sat down. Do you, have you ever met Ronnie Eaton? Uh, yes. So yes. Ronnie Eaton's a buddy of mine. And he goes, you know, if we'd have gone to the same high school, we would have both been in the same shitty band. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah, it's a great thing. Because you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, we were trying to like be this or because you know, we started off green day and ended up tool you know it's like that transition somewhere along the way where you're like I, you become a little better guitarist maybe and you're like i'm gonna do something a little different just to keep up yeah <laughs> just to keep up yeah. jamming with the bands you were jamming with you're like dang it yeah i'm in the dream theater now <laughs> <laughs> no, i never made it that far <laughs> uh, my wife has got a, a friend her dad was in the dream theater <laughs> And I didn't know about it until she was like usually math professors and yeah. stuff. Yeah, right. It's like that crowd. <laughs> they're, they're like they're like a nerdier Rush fan. <laughs> oh. Six women at a Rush concert. New record. New world record. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with Rush. Yeah. They're awesome. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah. You follow uh, the math rock? Some, yeah. Yeah. I, that was something that I was oblivious to. I'm a classic, like American football. Yeah. I like that stuff. Uh, but I was doing lots of sessions back when we were doing Shake, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, at one of the studios is Cafe Solo Studios. I still uh, work with those guys, and and he he was bringing out bands, and one guy these guys were like, oh, where we're, were math rock? And I'm like, I have no fucking clue what that <laughs> means. And then they start playing, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, this makes yeah. total sense. Why you're yeah. calling yourselves math rock? Because I'm just. It makes me feel old as a guitar style playing wise. Like I like the Van Halen and you know bluesy stuff, and now everything is like two handed and involving like capos and maybe a whip. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting pretty creative, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know, I don't, I don't think I'll learn any of that. <laughs> I'm always impressed though. I think it's oh good. man, paper and pen was cheaper for me. This is tuned to the word cabbage. <laughs> <laughs>
semi-conscious world that I bought and sold to be away from you. Empty bottles cold And I'm starting to cry But these tears don't know the reason Still I try to be away from you So we recorded our new album down in Fredericksburg. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was at a studio called Loma Ranch, okay. just outside of town. The The guy that owns it, his name is John Hill, but he goes by John Loma. And he was a drummer back in the 60s and 70s for most of the, like the Austin rock scene. Psychedelic okay. rock band. So he, oh. Yeah, he played with the 13th Floor Elevators. Oh, okay. And had some fame with like, he was just kind of he told me and we got to hang out with him quite a bit but really the guy we worked with was taylor tash yeah he he was actually the producer and basically engineer too but but, uh john hill was kind of mind-blowing just because his pedigree is insane the guy played with jerry jeff walker all those Mm -hmm. guys from that they were part of that original you know willie nelson that's that whole scene had a whole group of musicians that played with everybody and he was part of that like first on the list to, to call if they needed a drummer so he built this studio sometime in the 70s out in the country and it's it's next to an old 1800s german house oh. and then it's got a barn that's even older than that probably the original homestead for this place oh, the ibuprofen's from the 90s in it <laughs> but it's way older it's crazy so the actual studio is still kind of stuck in the 70s but we we were blown away because they still have like the original tapes for blaze foley Oh, okay. They still have, in this place, like Towns Van Zandt used to come hang out in their barn, apparently. Yeah. It's a really cool barn. I mean, it's got a lot of, you know, the wood has got that look where you can tell it's it's very old. <laughs> but uh, Hal Ketchum recorded his first record there. Really? Right before he went to Nashville and recorded the one that we all know. Oh, okay. So it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, neat place, good history. But uh, working with Taylor down there was, it was magic. Like, we kind of, 
harness the vibe. Escape. Yeah, it was an escape where we could go and Fredericksburg just has a cool cool vibe in general. You mm -hmm. know, if you're well, not downtown, of course. Now downtown has turned into a whole different monster. But uh my, my dad is actually from Fredericksburg originally. Oh, yeah. He was born there. So I don't know, in a way it was it was neat to just kinda of get away from the norm and go to a, a new place. It was out in the country and just focus and make a record. Uh did any of that psychedelia rub off on you on this uh, go-round? Without a doubt. <laughs> but it was already there, for sure. There may or may not be synthesizers. Yeah. <laughs> we had a really good time. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you've um, um, gone through some different phases, and, and uh, you've touched on some Americana. Right. Um, um, one thing that stands out, uh, uh, we did a podcast many, many moons ago, and you did... Um, a Pink Floyd song, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that. that uh, yeah. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's been a long time. It's a very long time. Yeah. Uh, uh, that what what I love is psychedelia is quite a Texas uh, genre. Uh, not a lot of get to, people get to say that because right. Um, San Francisco will try to claim it, but it's, it's all come from the Texas guys that left right. and went to San Francisco and that's started true. that movement because it was all folk then. Um, um, and and John was what's his name was uh, yeah John Hill would have been John part Hill of that was part yeah, of that he was part of the that. 13th floor elevator yeah a big part of that big yeah. part of what's that. funny is um the 13th floor elevators their number one song is you're gonna miss me when I'm gone which is also yeah, that's one, one of John's songs on the, the, <laughs> yeah. the previous record yeah I was just stuff like that the pieces that you could put together now did, were, were you aware of that song I was aware of that song but I didn't know the name until we released it and I looked it up and I was like oh there is there's a couple songs called that there's a I think there's a Brooks and Dunn song as well but that that 13th floor elevators is that's their big hit from the 60s yeah the Rocky Erickson and and all those guys they were all on a, a international artist very cool uh, I've I've gotten lucky enough that I've met a few guys who were uh, ran around with those guys one one is a um, uh, John David Bartlett uh, one of my good buds mm -hmm. and and owns a label that I work with uh, he was produced by those guys they they, that's awesome. they produced an album when he was like eighteen nineteen. <laughs> Um, that's where he met Towns Van Zandt and Blaze Foley and all those guys because they were they were all running together. They were all in Houston together, yeah. and and eventually they just up and moved to Austin <laughs> for Green Pastures. Well, he has a story about that, those Blaze Foley recordings. That Blaze Foley was adamant he was going to take them with him, and everybody that knew Blaze mm -hmm. told him not to take them. Yeah, because they were literally the real to real tapes of his session. They, his album was on these tapes yep, yep. he took them with them and lost them yeah and the only way that they eventually were able to make some of his recordings public again is john loma went through his private recordings and he had backup tapes oh wow for like some of these sessions Pivotal. man that's pretty cool it, it, it's a it, it's like a uh, anarchy or just magic of some sort that is uh, I'm. We are all digital natives, so like, we we didn't. Did you do any straight to tape recording while you were there? No, no, no. we didn't. They had all the, yeah. the the gear is all still there, but it's it's all. It's just sitting it's in the corner waiting yeah, it's for some repair. Yeah, you know, and we we had talked about trying to bounce down parts of the record, but by the time it was all said and done, the room had such a good vibe to it that it kind of almost. 
you know, the, all you're really chasing at that point is warmth yeah. and something, a, a little bit of that extra magic. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to go through and have to do every single track on that thing. Cause no. it's, that, that is a, a lost art. Those guys would literally like tape the tape together. Mm-hmm. They'd have to cut it exactly right. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible if you watch them work. It, it, it is. It's, it's more than magical. Like I said, it's, it's right. like, it's, it's, uh, and that's how they did it for years. God, and you know, even more mind. rudimentary than that, those first Beatles records are made on like way more primitive technology. Yeah, and they made them sound great. You know, I mean, switching up to four tracks like was a huge game changer at that point. You know, <laughs> and then eight tracks, they're like, well, we can do anything, anything, <laughs> anything. Uh, um, I got a, a studio that I work with, uh, Cloudland Studio with Joe Tacky, which a lot of those same guys we're talking about have gone through that studio and we did a, a live session with Corey Cross there and it was straight to tape. I've seen uh, reels on that. I think. Yes. It looked really cool. It was, it was great. Talk about warm, like now, the whole vibe. Oh yeah. Oh, they use only one microphone for that session. It was the one mic session. And oh wow. So you got the, uh, 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 a ribbon mic with a stereo eight and, and oh, killer, killer yeah. session. And the, the I like I go keep going back. Tape is weird. It's it. Uh, I, I I grew up in the '80s and '90s, so it's all tape was digital, mm-hmm. uh, even if it was on cassette. But it, now it's so much different, uh, where we have actual computers that, yeah. that do all the work for it. And I just oh yeah, it's a whole it's different. If I had to do that, I'd be. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be uh, shit out of luck if I had to do any kind of recording on. on AI tape. producer, he even has the back talk. It's it's changed yeah. tremendously since yeah. I started playing. Originally, when we were trying to make an album, we had to do stuff on like uh, these little Akai recorders mm-hmm. that used either. Sometimes they use zip disks. Sometimes they would just be a zip floppy disc. floppy disk. Yeah. I mean, they'd be garbage. Take like an hour and a half to bounce your session down at the end of the night. And you're like, boop, and just sit there and wait. <laughs> and I remember I had a buddy at one point that had a very early version of, of some sort of computer recording software in like 97 or 98. And yeah. it was not easy to work with. Everything about it was difficult. Yeah, everything was difficult yeah. during that time period. We thought it was amazing <laughs> but i made some great great songs just on a four track task cam i used yeah. to have a little you know cassette tape with just a record button and you just had like two inputs you just go through and just make yeah. four tracks and then or three tracks and bounce it down to one and then you have to get very creative sometimes uh awesome. yeah uh, bruce springsteen's uh nebraska was done that way really yeah it's it's the old school way to do it. You, you kind of had to. You could make some magic with it though. Like there there's something about sometimes doing that. You you pull some interesting stuff out, but it's real hard to, to I go bet in. You and, don't even have that task cam recorder anymore. I don't have the recorder, but I still have all the tapes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> They're in a box somewhere. <laughs> so, sometimes I, I think about all the equipment that we've gone through, and oh, like, I know. Damn, I wish I had that still. Yeah, a lot of amps. <laughs> It's a lot of amps. That's right. There's a lot of stuff in general. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, uh, now, will any of that content on those tapes ever make it to light of day? Probably not. Probably not. No, not unless some of your years down the road, somebody finds them and does something with them. Because you know, some of it you you want to hear, and then other parts of it you're like, yeah, just just leave that. In the just past. down the line, we'll do like a Beatles now and then. Thing. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna yeah, make whole new songs over these. It all sounds amazing. Peter will just be on a couch. <laughs> Robots <laughs> redid it. Peter, it'll be awesome. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, the mountain goats. I just think, think about the mountain goats when we talk, was talking about lo-fi and task cam recordings. That, <laughs> that um, um, All Hail West Texas album was... I don't know if you've ever heard that No, one. I've never heard that. It, it is very lo-fi. And, and uh, they've got a song on there that a lot of people cover called uh, The Best uh, uh, Death Metal Band in Denton. Okay. And um, these guys are not from Texas. They're like in- Texas. indie folk punk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And the, um, one of my, the, there's a song about Dealey Plaza that I really like. And it's got like a, um, almost like a Casio, just a canned <laughs> beat. And he's just really nonchalantly singing it. Yeah. And, it, and it's very melancholy. And it, uh, uh, well, that would be. <laughs> <I> mean, right. <laughs> Now, uh, I guess it depends on uh, what they're talking about. It's got Daily this Plaza, whirl but. sound to it. It's like this whirl sound, and uh, it, but it, it was very popular in the early '90s. To have that that lo-fi, like Daniel Johnson era, right? It's like oh, we're going to be cool because we're not cool, yeah. Type thing. It's very scratchy. Huh? Very scratchy. Yeah. Very scratchy. <laughs> uh, it, it, it always blows my mind seeing these big bands cover that that song, the death. Favorite, uh, the best. I'll have to check that out. I, mean, I don't think I've ever heard that. It's funny because it's these they two. Have a bunch of good songs. Yeah, this, the song's about. It says the be- best death metal band had was only two guys, and they were out of Den, right? <laughs> and and you listen to that, and you're like, yeah, that's Den. <laughs> <laughs> somehow they captured that so yeah. well, so well. Night closes in. There are whispers on the breeze. Hypnotic melodies as old as time And all I can say Is that I'm thankful every day Even when I'm far away You're always right there on my mind Cause I miss you You're the peace while I'm asleep my barren memories, my shelter from the storm. Three long days, and I'll be home to you, darling. Meet me in the moonlight when the magnolia Better to burn it than to fade away I'm not so sure these days My whole damn past is full of cinder and smoke What a mess I've made Still I would not change a thing Through the heartache and the pain I ended up right where I belong Gotta miss you you're the strength when I am weak My favorite melodies My shelter from the storm Three more days And I'll be home to you Darling, meet me in the moonlight When the magnolia blooms
many days did I fail to see The beauty, the love, and the pageantry of this life of mine Good God, I played the fool What would it take to alleviate This pain in my heart as it's starting to break The soft gentle breeze brings a smile to my face My love, I'm coming Let's talk about the two singles, man. Okay. Um, uh, let, let's start with the first one. So we released Scapegoat, I think it was October 27th, yeah, yeah, end right of October. Before, right before Halloween. Yeah, right before Halloween. Um, it's, you know, we've kind of transitioned into more of a rock sound with this mm -hmm. record. This album is going to be a concept record as well. The singles, you know, don't necessarily reflect that as much right this minute, but it's all part of a, a, a full themed record. And so Scapegoat was kind of our... It's a nice way to just introduce the record, and and you know we figured it would be a, a nice up tempo, and it definitely the it, I feel like the lyrics are pertinent to like, what's going on just modern times. How much uh, of uh, this album is different than, especially lineup wise, uh, how much of it is different than the last album you dropped? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually um, this will be the first record that I use my actual band okay. in the studio. My other three albums, you know, were were pet projects, more or less me and Josh Serrato and Ben Hussey, the three of us cut all the music mm -hmm. and would go in and, and I did a lot of the, I did all the harmonies and, and really kind of, they were, they were experimentations just to see what we could do with some of these songs. Whereas this record, my band and I, we worked for months and got them the way we wanted them and then we took the whole band in okay and then cut the record and had a, a, a game plan as to where the album was going boot camp boot camp I yes love it. we actually did sectionals which is for anybody that i guess wasn't in band that's a a very band nerd kind of thing i to can't say. tell you how many licks though and lines in that album that we got from those yeah from the sectionals <laughs> yeah we just like wow. we would mix every possible band member together one-on-one -on -one yeah so we were a five-piece so there would be i'd go up in between you know it'd be me and the lead guitar and the keys one night and then it would just be me and drums and bass and then me and just the keys and me and just the just kind of switched around and then it'd just be the the lead instruments together one night and by doing that we dissected all the songs down to their most basic parts and it, it, it helped tremendously like when we went into the studio everybody had a clear vision of what they wanted to do on the record now your first three took quite a bit of time you right. took your time did that shave any time off in the studio? Well, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, my first three really, the only, yeah. it didn't take as much time to make them. Each one is like a week worth of just going in the studio. The very first record took almost two years. 
but it was a bit more of like the circumstances. There was a lot going on. It was a, it was back originally when this, their studio was out of a trailer house, and they were doing <laughs> yeah, like I remember that we that one trailer house made like a Dolly Shine record, a yeah. Copper Chief record, Joe Teichman. There's all these records that are very specific from one time, and I was part of that. But my sessions were always at the end of everybody else's sessions. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was like a full week of work, probably strung out over two years of mm. just going out there and just getting it done a little bit at a time. But the first one, you know, if you listen to the instrumentation, we were very methodical with how we put it together. And, you know, every one of them, we've kind of shifted the, a little bit. And so Unbreakable, I, I had my band come in and do harmonies and anything that we could add them to that we could add Pippin played some guitar on that one oh, yeah and so that was kind of the opportunity where I was allowing you know bringing them into the the recorded music aspect side of it and so we've been touring unbreakable and and doing our, our shows for so long that they had basically picked up my sound and anything that we were doing on the last records kind of morphed into what the sound of this is now mm. so it's really funny because Pippin won't even realize it sometimes, but I'll hear Josh Serrato licks come through. <laughs> and it's, it's and, but it's his, it'll be Pippin's style with, and you know, it's because we've played these songs, the other oh, songs yeah. for so long. So, you know, it's, it's a very, it's, it's exciting to finally have my record as far as kind of what we're trying to put out there mm. come out and, and, and it be my band. And, Basically, what you hear on the when album you go is see what live we sound is like. going to correlate directly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to get that. Tell, tell me about the lyrics on Scapegoat. Where does that come from? Um, I wrote that in February of 2021. There was a lot going on in February yeah. of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I can tell you this: I started the lyrics in a very cold house because I didn't have any power. <laughs> and it had a lot to do with uh, that big Texas freeze, but there was some other stuff going on in January of that year that kind of like added to it maybe too. But uh, there was just a lot going on. And the lyrics, you know, I, they, they came to me pretty decently fast, but it was just in general how quick somebody is to point a finger mm -hmm. for and not take responsibility for for anything. I mean, and that, that goes, that's pretty universal. There's, there's a lot of finger pointing and trying to figure out who's to blame for something rather than just taking credit and trying to fix it. Mm. And I, I've seen that more and more. It seems like over the last 10 years, it's been just getting closer and closer that there's no responsibility or accountability, accountability even, you know? So that's, that was where the heart of scapegoat comes in is just, it was, and, and it's like I said, this whole record is a theme record and it's the theme is, is, basically it's the the pandemic it's mm. these are all songs that are written in very uncertain times and it's so it's it's a it's a lot of like ups and downs and this one is kind of more of like a an angry song about <laughs> about some of the downs now was it planned to, to lead into the next one or was that just kind of by accident yeah that all happened after the fact <laughs> I, I went and, and uh, made it made it cohesive as far as like the album flowing into each, each song flowing into each other so what we did is we just took the songs and I worked with the guys we got the songs sounding as good as we we wanted them to sound got everything sounding really nice and then I went back at a separate time and me and the producer built the whole record as it flows now okay and that helps build the concept out. right yeah 
Tell me about the second song we dropped just uh, recently. Okay. The, the second song we're going to drop uh, is To Be Away From You. Okay. This one's kind of an interesting song. I wrote it about 15 years ago. Okay. It was shelved. It was one of those ones that I'd played a, a bunch over the years, and I'd kind of gotten burned out on it. Strange enough, when uh, I guess this was last year, I, I stumbled upon an old page on YouTube that was of me playing it at a some weird open mic like from like 2000 <laughs> was it on your eight page? or nine no it was somebody was, else it was somebody else and i found it by accident that's a surreal feeling that was very surreal because uh number one i looked totally different so was i was watching the dangle it. era no it was way before that <laughs> yeah it was way before that this was this was a long time ago my voice sounded totally different and so anyway i found this song and i, I forgot it even existed and i showed it to the guys and they were all like well that's a great song we should do that song and so we went into our studio at home and started hashing it out and reworked it out and it's it came back to life and it was a very very specific weird song from kind of a a, a semi-low point in my life when i just broken up with this girl that i'd been with for like four years mm. and so I, the song is so strange because the lyrics still like hit a little bit you know and it's it's a cool song and, and so the way that it all turned out on the record it's very 70s rock kind of mm. it has a, a little different vibe you you you've never shied away from especially posted about your love of 70s rock i think you right every oh, once yeah. in a while i see a post about little feet yeah i love little feet. <laughs> that's yeah. his band that's my sure. band for sure <laughs> 70s rock is definitely my, my my favorite music to listen to yeah that's a that's really good is it is it a 70s was 10 years you know like right. what 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 part of that do you like is it the early part where it's more hippy dippy or is it more yeah. like the late 70s uh, early to mid yeah I, i've been uh i'm really bad right now into the 76 to 80 um uh disco country yeah i've been listening to a shit time i'll I, I tell you what, <laughs> what 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 really does it for me this this is the, the big difference to me the 70s it was a lot of talent. It was just, you had to be the most incredible totally. bands to go get to record music. So you, even if they were like the most cheesy, terrible artist, the music production is incredible. Yeah. So you get to the eighties and we, we slip into this like very simple format with synthesizers and it, it the whole genre of music changed with it. You can hear it reverberate across country, across, everything everything starts to adapt very similar palettes for how they make music and it's like i don't know something about the one the, the palette in the 70s it just it, it sounds a little bit cleaner and the the production is just incredible i feel like uh i mean of course me being not even close to that era but i would say like just catching in that whole sound it's like the culture itself was chasing a futuristic sound and rushing it Oh, there's a lot that. of cool innovations that came from that but yeah. it's like they were chasing that like space age I, everything was in that because it was even if you see it in the movies too and that, that's like some of the best sci-fi movies came from that late oh, 70s yeah. era oh yeah absolutely because that was star wars and 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 alien and yeah it's just, just practical effects Their and interpretation it was necessity, of the that necessity. Was they would figure out how to make it work and that that's the difference between now now it's just like well Computers. we'll just cg that in 
Computers. You know, CGI and like try to expand it. Well, we just need 12 million orcs on the battlefield. It's like, well, that looks really cool. But, yeah. you know, there's something about like, like it, take a, a movie like Jaws. Jaws is so simplistic and you rarely see the shark. And it was totally because their shark didn't end up work. It didn't work yeah. as well as they wanted it to. <laughs> yeah. But there's beauty in that because you're almost more terrified of the shark not seeing it. Yeah, and so the moments you do see it, it happens so fast, and it's just very like, it's it happens and then it's over with. I, I but, love it. Yeah. You got to bring it back to Spielberg. It's like have to. Weird. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> we need more lens flares. <laughs> more lens flares. <laughs> <laughs> he made that movie with very minimal amount of money, right? By our our standards, right? By, by modern Hollywood standards, and, and, a small loan of a million dollars. Like, wasn't <laughs> man? It, it reminds me of. Um, Kevin Smith. Have you ever seen any Kevin Smith? Oh yeah, oh, for sure. Yes. Like he does those four-hour Q and As at colleges, and and one of them was he, he talks about uh, he made um, uh, the Quick Stop movie. Uh, um, Clerks. Clerks, the first one. That's Very the minimal amount of money, and then and then he goes and sells that to Miramax, and then he turns around. And they they're like, okay, what's the next one? And then uh, how much money do you need for the next one? He's like, yeah, maybe a million. And they're like, no, that's not enough. That's that's not a real. Yeah, movie. that's not a real movie. <laughs> that's not real. Here's twenty five million. And, and uh, it, those guys back in the day, they had to make do with what they have, and they ended up accidentally creating everything. Well, it's because the script's <laughs> brilliant. Like everything about like the dialogue and the way that they did it is very. It's simplistic, but it's effective. Oh, yeah. Rather than being, uh, you know, a bigger budget on the way it looked. It, it focused more on a story and it focused on a good script and mm-hmm. it's just fun to watch. That original Clerks, is, it still stands up. It's a great it, movie. Yeah, it does. It does. I, like I haven't the, seen the new one, the, the third Clerks one. The one conversation where the, the movie guy and the main clerk were together and he was just like, but what about the Death Star? Like, <laughs> the Starfighters can be that good. I mean, there were innocent people on there that were cleaning and stuff. Subcontractors. Subcontractors. Yeah, subcontractors. Such a good, iconic <laughs> the dialogue there. there. Yeah. That was fantastic. <laughs> so, man, y'all ready to play some, some songs? Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, all right, let's do that. 